Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we trust you did not speak just to the prophets. You did not speak just to John the Baptist. But your spirit moves even now, even in this place, even in our hearts. So help us to make way for the Lord in our own way, in our own way, in our own hearts this morning. Help us to listen attentively to your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So last week, kicking off our Advent theme, finding hope in a weary world, Clover spoke about the weariness we feel from the the suffering around us. This week, I turned to a different kind of weariness, a suffering that comes from within us. Last week, our scriptures gave us images of the heavens being torn open and, and the sun being darkened. This week, I am sorry to say, things don't look much brighter. Now it's John the Baptist's turn, preaching fire and brimstone and repentance of sin. But repentance from what and to what? What does John think the underlying problem with humanity is? Why were the people not living as they should? Why do we not live as we should? The traditional answer is some version of original sin, which traces what's wrong with us back to Adam and Eve and says on that fateful day in the garden, implanted in the human heart was a defect, a mistake. A file got corrupted on our hard drive. And passed down by birth like a recessive gene, each of us comes into the world now as inherently tainted with a sinful nature. But the doctrine of original sin wasn't developed until about 400 years after Jesus and is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible, by the way. So whatever John thought was wrong with us, It probably wasn't that. What exactly he did think of human nature, I guess we'll never know. But today I want to share a shift in my own thinking about why we do what we do that's been very helpful for me, and I hope it's helpful for you. It starts with my belief that we, as humans, all feel a sense of emptiness, a sense that something is missing. I guess I believe we all feel that because I feel it. And while I don't think I'm inherently tainted by original sin, I am pretty sure I am inherently self-centered. So if I feel this way, then I think you must feel this way too. (laughs) This empty feeling is like a hole that we don't know how to fill. And it leads to all sorts of problems for us. It makes us try too hard to please or impress people. It makes us work too hard for success and status. We care too much about how we look and what other people think of us. And we are constantly turning to to quick shots of pleasure, be it food or, 
or alcohol or shopping or bluebell peppermint ice cream, which is really good. And it's on sale right now. So. <laughs> but that is antithetical to the point that I'm trying to make right now. We do all of this in an attempt to fill this emptiness, this longing, and it's exhausting. It makes us weary. And given the harm that it causes, it is tempting to think that we really are damaged goods. But I have started to wonder, what if that empty feeling, this longing that we all feel, isn't some kind of spiritual birth defect, but rather is a beautiful thing? What if this longing is a holy longing? As children of God and made in the image of God, two ideas that are very much in the Bible, by the way. What if that hunger we experience is actually a desire to be closer to that which created us? But in our immaturity, our impatience, our stupidity, we sometimes reach for the bag of chips instead of the blueberries, literally and spiritually. Unpracticed at spending time with God, we spend our time chasing power or our fading youth or someone who's willing to prop up our fragile ego. And I don't mean to suggest that all of our sinful choices are just misplaced holy longing but I think some of them are. I think maybe a lot of them are. And this has been a very healthy reframing for me. One, because when I do mess up and I do the very thing I hate, as Paul says, I'm a little more gentle with myself. I don't see it as a defect because it just reminds me that I'm never really going to be satisfied with those things, no matter how much success we enjoy, or how many toys we accumulate, or how impressed people are with us. As St. Augustine said, the same guy who gave us original sin, by the way, thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Our hearts are restless until they rest in Thee. When we spend our time chasing things that can never really fulfill us, after a while, I think the world loses its magic to us. I think we feel a bit disappointed, some sense of betrayal. And we can begin to develop a, an almost mechanical, utilitarian relationship with the things around us. We objectify other people. We objectify the natural world. We see them as things to be used or controlled or feared. And everything becomes a means to an end. It leaves us never fully present to the moment in front of us. We, we go to the grocery store but we're not really there because our minds are already on getting home and getting dinner cooked. And we cook the meal, but then we're not really present to that because our minds are on how good it's going to taste when we eat it. 
But when we're eating, we're not really present even then. We're on to the next thing to fill the void. We're always a step ahead of where we actually are. And in a way, I think the world and, and our sensitivity to it becomes almost deadened. We don't really see each other's spirits. We don't, we don't perceive the spirit permeating the natural world. We don't even notice this for the most part. But, but the world is it's not alive to us anymore, which is maybe why we are able to treat each other the way we sometimes do, the way we're, we abuse the natural world the way we so often do. We couldn't do it if we really saw what's in front of us. Everything and everyone just becomes a means to an end, an end we never reach and a means we never fully enjoy. But the answer to our misplaced longing may be closer at hand than we think. The beautiful truth is that this world is sacred. It is not dead at all, but spirit-filled and mysterious and holy. And when we slow down enough to see it, and to be in it, it fills us. It restores our weary souls. The Presbyterian Church recognizes two sacraments. We celebrated one of them last week, communion. The other one, just a moment ago. And we describe a sacrament as a visible sign of an invisible grace, right? But if the invisible grace of God is already in and through everything, if, as Paul says, we live and move and have our being in God, not near God, in, then on another level, there are more sacraments than we could ever recognize. Just about anything can be a sacrament if we pay attention if we have eyes to see. Folding the laundry can be a sacrament. Watering the plants can be a sacrament. Sharing coffee with a friend can be a sacrament. It's about the presence we bring. It's about the reverence we bring. When we're celebrating communion, if we're doing it right, we slow way down. And for a moment, we stop thinking about anything else but that piece of bread in our hand. We're just present and thankful to be alive. Or when I'm baptizing a baby, there can come a moment when everything else fades away. It can feel eternal, outside of time. And this is what our hearts really need most. It's so simple. It's almost too simple. I wish I had something harder for you because then you might take it seriously. But there's really only one thing that can fill our souls with what they really need and it is not some bucket list adventure to the other side of the world and it is not a fancy car 
It is not some magic face cream that can take 10 years off of your life. Although if you find one, please let me know. (laughs) It is repenting that we have wasted so much time on things that don't matter. It is being more present to the ordinary moments right in front of us because the present moment is the only moment that God is ever going to show up in. It's slowing down more. It's trusting God more and learning to see with sacramental eyes.